Um, but we're finding that the number one for us, as I look at our congregation, everybody is through personal referrals. So personal contact. Uh, I just read a stat the other day that 82% of unchurched people said they would go to church if a trusted friend invited them. Bryce Hamilton here, and welcome to the show where we talk about how your church can reach your community. Today we have here with us Matt Manny, who's the newly published author of Unmasked, Overcoming the Shame that Says that You're Not Enough. And he'll be talking to us a little bit about why he decided to write that book. Matt will also be talking with us about his church plant in Media, Pennsylvania, and how in order to reach his community, he even needed to change his mindset on some things. He shares with us some really good insights, and I look forward to sharing those with you. Now let's get into the show. Hey, Matt, and welcome to the show. Hey, Bryce. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be on. Yeah, and we're glad you're here, and we're excited to hear about your experience in the church plant at Greater Philadelphia Baptist Church. But first, we want to talk a little bit about something that you had going on earlier this week. At the time of this recording, earlier this week, uh, Matt had a book launch, and Matt, can you explain what that book was all about? Uh, the book title was Unmasked. So tell us about your book, Unmasked. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's entitled Unmasked, Overcoming the Shame that Says You're Not Enough. And the uh, originally the book um, began as some thoughts in in our church. I preached the message uh, over a year ago about, uh, originally entitled, the series was something to the effect of uh, six things God loves about you. And so our, our church ministry, we are located just outside of Philadelphia. So a lot of the folks um, that are coming are coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, different um, marital situations, different home situations. And so there's a lot of folks that uh, needed the connection of understanding God's view of them, but then also trying to fill the gap with their brokenness and how do I make sense of the mess that I'm struggling with. And so we decided to target this issue of dealing with shame We've got a lot of folks that are coming from divorce situations, from fatherless homes, and so there is a lot of shame um, that doesn't come across as shame, but it surfaces itself in five different areas. And so we jump into that in the book. We talk about insecurity and indecision, feeling insignificant, and dealing with rejection. And then last issue we really address is the feeling of inadequacy and then how that relates to our lives. And really the book is a exegetical uh, approach to Romans chapter 8. So starting off with there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus all the way through to the end that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Um, so it was really a, a lot of stories, uh, a lot of anecdotal thoughts from my life growing up, some of the, the process of going through a church plant, wanting to get things launched. And I know we'll talk more about it as the interview goes on, but some of the feelings of failure and inadequacy I've uh, worked through as a pastor getting a church plant off the ground. Uh, sometimes we, we came into this whole thing with uh, some incredible high hopes and then to sit here and uh, see the reality of, of just, it's difficult at times, but then to be able to share some of the joys, the sorrows in that book. And I've already gotten feedback from people that say that it really struck a chord with them. So um, it's a work in progress. We're getting feedback, uh, reviews and things like that, but we're excited to see what the Lord has for the future of using the book to impact people. So far, I've enjoyed the book because I did start reading the book. I'm about eight chapters in, and I really enjoyed the fact awesome. that you 
related to readers and you related them by relaying vulnerable stories about yourself. And sometimes we read books and we think, you know, this is really, it, it comes across as kind of theory, but it really didn't come off as theory to you uh, because you really shared and opened up about yourself and uh, some things yeah. that you had felt shame about. And that was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's hard because I think, and I don't know, maybe we can get into this a little bit later when, when, when we talk about trying to reach people in our community. Uh, I, sometimes I think in our, in our church culture, the church culture that I had rig- originally um, started at Greater Philadelphia Baptist was very much, um, you know, we didn't, really, we didn't really get underneath the surface of things. And folks would come in, and I could tell they were hurting, but we just never, we never had a, 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 um, a time or an opportunity for people to share what they were going through or try to express that somehow. And there was a fearfulness, too, that if they would share, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, uh, almost a fearfulness that, hey, you're not really welcome here with those kind of problems. So the more we've done ministry, the more God's worked in my heart uh, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as just a a man, as a child of God, realizing that um, the more I started sharing with people and started preaching about some of the stuff I struggle with, the more people started responding and um, getting kind of close. I, I, it just reminds me, I heard somebody say one time, people will admire your strengths from a distance, but they'll relate to your weaknesses when they're close to you. And so uh, if you want people to draw close, there's no better way than to be transparent and relatable. Um, so it's, it's, uh, sometimes it, it backfires because people take advantage of that right, uh, right. vulnerability, but, but for the most part, most people, they, they find it relatable and they find it encouraging and helpful, especially coming from uh, a pastor who's, you know, normally culturally uh, pastors can kind of, sometimes we can kind of wear that mask and try to kind of shroud ourselves a little bit, um, a distancing from people. So yeah, that's kind of the heartbeat of it. And for anyone listening, uh, we will put the link for the book in the show notes. So go ahead and Check that book out. Check check out the reviews that exist so far, and I highly recommend based on what I've read so far. And that's fantastic. Matt, as we shift gears a little bit here, yeah. uh, can you explain God's call on your life into ministry? Sure. The um, uh, I guess the process goes back to uh, I, I grew up in a, um, in a home where we were— um, it was religious, and originally I grew up in a Methodist church, and then at a young age, um, things just began to transpire at that church where my parents started looking for a new, ch- a new church to get to. So early on in my formative years, we, uh, or my parents had gone on a search for a church that preached the Bible, that held to um, the entirety of the scriptures, and that was kind of the baseline for the transition from uh, the, the Methodist church we were going to to a, a church that pre- preached the Bible. So the church then that we ended up getting into preached the Bible, Salvation through Christ alone. That's where I got saved as a kid. But the church also had a Christian school and a great youth group program. And so um, my parents had pulled us from public school, homeschooled us for a time, and then put us in the Christian school. So once getting into the Christian school, we were uh, availed of a lot of different opportunities for leadership things, going on missions trips. And my ninth grade year, I joined a missions uh, trip team called the Time Team Training and Missionary Endeavors. And basically, it was like a, we did a, a puppet show. We learned some songs and um, just learned how to do like some skits and things like that. And then the goal was to go to Nova Scotia and present basically a vacation Bible school in a couple of churches up there. 
um, in Canada. And so we had gone to a camp prior to uh, in, in Nova Scotia. We went to a Bible uh, this uh, Bible camp, and there's a, a pastor preaching, and he said, "Jesus Christ is the heart of missions. The heart of Jesus uh, and the heart of missions is Jesus Christ." And kind of gave a, an altar call and said, "Do you want to go into full time ministry?" And I remember um, kind of kind of thinking, "Lord, I, this is what I want to do. I, I respect and love my pastor. I'm fearful about it." I was, it was a weird thing though. Was I I was stuck on being ordained because I knew even at 15 I knew that process um, because I guess a couple of guys had been ordained from our church, but I was afraid to be put on the hot seat. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I was kind of like, Lord, I'll, I'll go into ministry, but as long as I don't have to answer those questions, um, you know. So I, I just was, and I was I was shy as a kid. I was just naturally shy and insecure. Um, but I can remember walk walking up and. Uh, they had gotten my name tag wrong, so it said Matt Haney. <laughs> so the speaker was like, "Well, it's good to see you up here, Matt Haney. Uh, what can I pray for you about?" And I, you know, I, you know, was like, "Oh, it's not really Matt Haney. It's Matt Manny." So uh, he said, well, "Why don't you step outside and, and we'll, we'll uh, why don't you go with some of your other classmates that have made the decision? Why don't you pray?" And I remember walking out onto this deck area um outside the main auditorium and it's just a be- you know beautiful night sky up there in, in Nova Scotia in Canada in the middle of the summer and it's just uh cooler weather a little bit and just thinking okay lord i have no no idea where this decision is going to lead but i trust you and whatever is to come um you know i want to do it because in the back of my head i'd read all the missionary biographies of um and and great preachers like D.L. Moody and William Borden and Gladys Aylward going to China as a kid, and Hudson Taylor, and uh, the Ju- Adonai Judson, and William Carey, and thinking, okay, like the, these are stories of grandeur. I want to do that somehow. Um, but it was weird because missions was kind of the idea, but there's a couple of events that happened as a kid that kind of had a leaning toward um, city ministry. And so God kind of used those books that I read, The Calling in Nova Scotia you know, going forward, and then some events that took place growing up as, as a kid where my parents um, had us get involved with ministry, inner city kind of things that kind of led us to where we're at today. So that's kind of the the, the long, long explanation. And I, I just love hearing stories about how God called different guys in totally different ways into the ministry. Yeah, yeah. Before you decided to go into full-time ministry, I also like to hear this perspective as well. As you were a layperson in your church, mm-hmm. how did your church... Uh, allow you to feel that you were an active member of your church community? I had some really great mentors um, between this, because like I said before, the, um, the, the Christian school was a ministry of the church. So I had some teachers and then also a youth pastor and other, um, just some, some mentors um, that really helped a couple of, I, I, you know, cases we had during the summertime, our church didn't have a Wednesday night, um, uh, organized children's program. So I had a, my Bible teacher from school, he had conscripted me and, and a couple other, um, junior, we were in middle school. I'd like seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade. And, uh, he had asked us and said, Hey, we're going to put together a kids program for, uh, six or eight weeks during the summer. And I want you to help me put together this program. And again, it was singing songs with, with kids and doing puppet shows. And then he would actually have us write, help to write these puppet scripts, and so we would pick a topic like uh, obedience or love or faith or trust, and then we'd kind of organize a night around that. And because he had given us ownership 
um, and and had us had our buy-in as teenagers, which you know it's it's it was just looking back now and thinking this is just amazing and crazy that he trusted us to try to pull this stuff off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that happened in middle school, and then when I got into high school, there was uh, our Wednesday night program really became solidified and. Uh, there was um, the leader of the Wednesday Night Kids program asked me if I'd be willing to help lead up uh, like a fourth grade boys class. And so he gave me an opportunity to lead. And I actually had, uh, which again, it was weird, but I had the chance to lead other adults in the group. And um, I wrote some curriculum for the kids program and I would write little devotionals, uh, which I see now. It's kind of why I enjoy writing, you know, writing Unmasked now years later. So I did that in um, high school as a junior and as a senior and then again missions trips and um, just more and more opportunities they really encouraged us to get involved with uh, preaching so I started preaching when I was in um, eighth grade in like preacher preacher competition things and royally royally blew and got disqualified a couple of times because I went too long or too short or you know it was just a comedy of errors but just trial and error and you know adults and mentors kind of let, letting us as teenagers experience ministry, I got a really just great taste of it as a kid. And um, so it kind of led into a lot of the, the, the heartbeat and passion I have now started uh, 20 years ago when I was 15. So it was just a matter of just staying in that lane and getting involved wherever opportunities were. Yeah, and that's so good. The fact that leaders in your church allowed you guys, even as teens, to take ownership of things and to be creative with things. And yeah. when that happens, you're able to have a, a better degree of buy-in. Oh, yeah. And let's be honest, it's it's tough to get young people. It's tough to get lay people. It's tough to get anybody really to buy in things that they're not involved with. And if you have an opportunity to be involved, man, your rate of buy-in is so much higher. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. I see that today in some of the things we try to do in ministry, definitely. Uh, can you also describe for us God's call on your life to plant a church in Media, Pennsylvania, as the pastor of the Greater Philadelphia Baptist Church? Sure. We we um, we started out, uh, graduated uh, high school, went off to college, uh, college for five years, met Amanda, my wife, and then started working as a full-time intern at Valley Forge Baptist Temple. And that's located just about an hour, an hour and some change northwest of where we currently live now. So um, kind of that sets, setting the stage. The pastor that I worked under, when I first started working there, asked me, okay, you know, what do you want to do long term with this internship process? They have a fantastic internship process at the church. And basically they start you off, where do you want to go? Do you want to go into evangelism? Do you want to become a pastor? Do you want to go into church planning, youth work? You know, how, how do you, how do you see yourself down the road? So I had told pastor Wendell, uh, the senior pastor there that I wanted to go into church planting. So he kind of set me on a, on a pace to get me involved in kids ministries and singles ministries and addiction ministry and all kinds of different things. And then um, it, was, it was funny because it was kind of like, you'll be in this internship for two years, and then at the end of two years, then we'll send you out. Well, we were coming to the end of two years, and he was kind of like, well, let's, let's, do, let's do two more years. And then at the end of those two more years, it was like, let's do five years. It's kind of like the story in, I think it's Judges, when the, when the one judge goes to like his father-in-law or so, some guy's house, and he's like, hey, why don't you stay another night? And then he's like, no, stay another night, stay another night. So it's kind of like, 
this elongated internship process. Um, so we ended up at Valley Forge for five years, and then I remember I remember one day in a pastoral staff meeting, Pastor Wendell, not, it wasn't really on my mind about starting a church at that point. It was kind of I kind of had it, it went dormant, and uh, so he says to me at the end of staff meeting, "Hey Matt, I need to talk to you." Well, when your boss slash senior pastor of a large ministry says we need to talk, you're like, oh, no, <laughs> what did I do? So I sat down and he said, uh, it's time. And I'm like, time for what? And so he says, it's, it's uh, what are your thoughts about? Do you still have a heart to go start a church? And I said, well, yeah, I guess so. Like, I, I think I'd like to still do that. So he uh, he said, well, let's put together a timeline and why don't you start going out and do some survey trips? And at that point, we really wanted to go to California, back to where I had gone to college. I loved the California, just the uh, fast-paced kind of feel and the beautiful weather other than the mudslides and the forest fires and the occasional earthquake. Everything was good to go, you know. But I just I loved, I loved the, whole, the whole environment. So we put together a list of, of Bryce. It was like 30 different cities we were going to go look at and we made we made a trip went out to a conference that was out there and then we were looking in mainly southern california so we would do basically uh the best we could we did like five cities in a day that were really close to each other so we were looking at knockability housing prices other other baptist churches in the area um all these different things and so we went to these different different places and just really didn't have a piece about it. And then at the conference, it was crazy because the guy uh, running the conference had a church planner luncheon. And so he said, okay, all the guys that are here, would you go ahead and stand up and tell me your name and then where you're going to go plan a church? So I was kind of sitting from the back of the room and really, really nervous. And he started in the front of the room and these guys are starting to save the cities. So they're saying like El Segunda and Van Nuys and Los Angeles and Glendale, and, and I'm like, wait a minute, we were going to go there, and we're going to go there, and literally, it was just like I was checking off the list of all the places we were thinking about going, and he got to me, and I, was, I just said, undecided, <laughs> so as, <laughs> humiliating as, as humiliating as it sounded, so we, we just said, okay, Lord, you're, you're closing that door, we ended up then looking to go to the Boston area, we did about three or four survey trips up there, uh, spent some time with, we had family in the area, and then we got to um, November of 2010. We were at a evangelism slash missions conference in Fairfax, Virginia. And Pastor Wendell, we were, I was sitting with him in one of the sessions. And after we got done, he came to me and he says, I think I have uh, an idea of, of where maybe God would be calling you. And I was thinking, finally, because up to that point, you really didn't have, I, I really believe that God leads through our leadership and through our pastors. And so at that point, he really hadn't given me any direction. And so he said, what do you think about looking between Collegeville and, or, you know, Valley Forge Baptist Temple and down in Philadelphia. And my heart actually kind of sunk because I, I didn't want to go to Philly. It was, I, like I said before earlier in the, in the interview, um, I had some like really bad ministry experiences in Philadelphia as, as a kid, um, just being fearful. And uh, I was kind of like, I know I used to think that, the urban and church planting in, a, in like a dense populated area was my thing, but it was more like a romantic idea. And like pastor went, I really don't want to do this. And so he said, well, let's like, let's talk about it and we'll do some, you know, do some survey trips. But I think if we could send a church plant team with you, that would really help to get the ball rolling. So met up with a guy who's a businessman 
um, in the the area that we were looking at, and he owned some daycares. So one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, the doors that had seemed to be closed in California and the doors that were closed in Boston, doors just started opening up left and right for us in uh, Delaware County, which is just east of Philadelphia. So we we can we can see the the city skyline from our area very easily. It's we're only two and a half three miles from Philadelphia, but it would take you an hour to drive in. That's how congested uh, we are in this area. So anyway, that, it was just these open doors, um, and so we kind of our thing has always been what's the natural next step as God leads us, and it was just one natural next step, and it was things we didn't have to force the door open. We didn't have to climb through a window, you know, one of those kind of deals. Um, God just began to provide the money and the financing, and we put together a church launch team, and um, and then kind of the rest is history. But that's the long process of um, how we got to where we're at today. Yeah, and I love that, because sometimes we stress over finding God's will for our life. Yeah. And a lot of times it's just doing what is right today, being faithful today, and God opens the doors when he sees fit and in his timing. Yeah, oh yeah. And which which is frustrating because the more I'm in ministry and the more I do things, the more I realize how important timing is. It's not just a matter of yes or no, but wait <laughs> wait is more and more um the answer I see from God with you know, as I pray through things and think through outreach strategies and things we try and it's just maybe this is working or that's not working and uh, the the timing of everything seems to be a major part of this of the whole process. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when first getting started with a church plant, obviously outreach is a huge, huge priority. So, yeah. when Greater Philadelphia Baptist Church first got started, in what ways did you kind of prioritize making connections within that community? We, it was the the, the start of the church was just a blur and it was just, it was frantic. I was, I was determined that we were going to be running like 150 to 200 on our first Sunday. I was, I was bright. I was fully convinced that, that this is how it was going to happen. And so we, we uh, did like door knocking and flyers. So we did about 10 or 15,000 of those and we mailed out 20,000 flyers. And the irony of it all is two weeks before our launch date, I got a call from the township supervisor, and he said, "The build is this, is this Greater Philadelphia Baptist Church? Yes, yeah. How can I help you?" And I had been getting phone calls from people, and uh, so he was like, "Well, it says on uh, that you're going to be meeting at such and such a location." Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, "Do you realize you're not allowed to meet there?" Oh no! And I kind of thought, "Well, who are you?" And then he explained who he was. He's the township supervisor. And then all of a sudden, the, the like the floor, the rug just got pulled out from under me. That's not that building's not zoned for a, a congregation, and you need to check with me. And I was kind of, and he, you know, cussed me out on the phone. So I'm like, welcome, welcome to church planning, because I, and honestly, it was so weird. I had really, really in my mind was, I'm the Baptist preacher, and people respect pastors, right? And and I came to find out like people don't really care. <laughs> so um, our our area, it's heavily, heavily Catholic. So it's just kind of like, especially when, when we were starting the church, was a lot of the, the scandals from the Catholic Church were coming out. So we were kind of getting some of the backlash from that, the distrust, and the kind of almost like we were irritating people. So I was like, okay, we got to do everything and anything we can. So the, the fellow that owned the daycare, he was like, well, I'll, I'll make sure I'll give flyers to the, the parents and my daycare kids. And 
then we actually this is like really really crazy but we did it we um we had a billboard that we rented and i put my face on the billboard because i was like i got to be the face of the ministry and so i had this and like this it wasn't a good idea because it kind of was very like narcissistic right at least it came across that way (laughs) it just didn't go well because i was like right yeah it didn't come across like hey we're here for you it's kind of like hey come stroke my ego and uh, it was funny because my neighbors the neighborhood we, we moved into um somebody had approached me and they were like hey so uh how's your church going I said, oh great i like you know how, how do you know and well we saw your picture on baltimore pike like on the billboard like live and in person uh, so so like things like that you know obviously i think we haven't done a billboard like that since um but we the very first so we moved in in july of 2011 um got the church started in september and we actually had our second child madison was born on thursday september 15th and our very first service was september 18th so amanda didn't even make it so that was a bad idea so if you have any future church planners that are listening don't have a baby and make sure you pick the right building and make sure you don't do a billboard when you're trying to launch your church so anyway uh the following that christmas then of that year of 2011 we actually went to all of our neighbors and we had like an open house christmas party and we met a lot of our neighbors uh, through that, it was really, really went well. It was nice because it kind of um, preempted the hi, I'm the the pastor. Uh, so we were able to make those connections, and then we just would do a lot of um, just going door to door and those kind of things. We we have found now um, for our biggest bang for our buck for us, we do a lot of uh, Facebook ads and we do a lot of um, mailers, and we still do canvassing things like that. Um, but we're finding that the number one for us, as I look at our congregation, everybody is through personal referrals. So personal contact. Uh, I just read a stat the other day that 82% of unchurched people said they would go to church if a trusted friend invited them. So we really, we talk about that a lot at church from the pulpit and we really encourage our church members, Hey, uh, bring in, bring in your friends, invite your friends. Um, there's really a stigma, especially in our area, 75% back in 2010, 75% 75% of the people living in Delaware County are Catholic. Now, the stats have changed. 2014, the numbers actually dropped down to 63%. But what we're finding is it's not because they're actually coming to, you know, our church now. It's just because they're, they're walking away from church altogether. They're, they're oh, not yeah. affiliated because of just um, their, their experience with church. So the best we can, we... Uh, I, I heard somebody say one time, and this is kind of our in the back of our mind, and we work into our DNA. We want people to get to know us, and so we have. Uh, and I, I don't, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but we have like on-ramp events where it's basically we just want people to get to know us, and we get their information, and then we use it. Um, not use it. We use it sparingly, but we don't try to beat people over the head, um, and you know, with constant mailers and constantly you know tapping them on the shoulder, but get to know us and then get to like us. And then they'll, then they'll trust. The trust is a big issue. Um, we've got some, I've got some friends right now, people that are on the fringe that we've been inviting and I can see the number one issue for them is they just don't trust me and they don't trust the church. So we're trying to lovingly with time, um, see that they begin to realize, Hey, I'm not, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna, you know, judge or I'm not gonna embarrass you. I think a lot of people are embarrassed. It's weird. Some of the feedback I get from, people that are coming to our church said that when they have attended other churches in our area, they either got called out as a first time visitor or 
Uh, even some people in some cases weren't allowed to come into the church, maybe because of how they were dressed or because they came late or just weird, just some weird, goofy stuff. So we lock that away and say, okay, it's not just about our presence in the community, but it's also about the first impression we give to somebody. And when they come on a Sunday morning, it's huge. You know, they always say that people kind of make their decision the first 10 to 15 seconds of whether or not they're going to you know, come back. So we worked really hard both outside the church with our reputation, but then also inside the church. This episode of Church Outreach Strategies is brought to you by Unmasked, overcoming the shame that says you're not enough. And in the show notes below, we've included a link to that book on Amazon. Now, with full disclosure, that is an affiliate link. So by clicking that link, you will both be supporting the show as well as supporting Matt Manny and helping him get his book out there and in front of more readers. Not only do I encourage you to click on that link to follow through and to check out that book, but also to share that with others so that they can get the benefit of all the work that Matt put into writing that book. Yeah, absolutely true. And you sent this to me yesterday, and I loved this. And you just referred to it. And I just want to make sure that everybody catches it, so I'm going to repeat it. Uh, You said to me yesterday, in order to reach people, people have to know you, they have to like you, and they have to trust you. And that is absolutely true. And sometimes we get this idea that we're the church, and we're there, and people are going to come if we present truth. But There's been so many seedy things that have happened in the name of Christianity. Not true Christianity. Correct. But in the name of Christianity. Right. And so in order to reach people, that that establishment of trust is absolutely essential. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's hard because I've got in my mind, listen, I'm not, you know, I we're not I want to be careful not to demean anybody, but we're not you know, the denomination that's primarily dominant in Delaware County. We're, we're not that church. We are a church, but we are not that church. And, it, and what I'm finding is it, it, as, as much as I'd like to think there's a difference in people's minds, there's not that difference yet until they really, really get to know us and they, they really get to trust us. They still are very fearful. Um, I just was talking to a friend the other day. And and they said I'm I'm inviting my friend. Well, and I said why isn't she coming? And she made the statement because church is weird. And she said she grew up in a certain denomination that had um, a lot of schools with that denomination. She said she's just tired of it, and she just she's lumping you in. And I was like, but we're not. We're different. And she said, I know, I know. But my friend thinks that church is weird. So that's kind of a, you know, we're we're keeping that in mind, but. I think my mindset, I used to think early on, especially when we started the church, my attitude towards unchurched people was they're, they should know better, they're being rebellious against God, and so I'm going to change their heart, and I'm going to show them the error of their ways, and I really was was kind of heavy-handed and vindictive, and the more I taught, started to talk to people, and the more I started getting in the community and making, making inroads with people, the more I realized that people... Weren't, aren't coming to church not because they they know better or because they just, you know, like they want to, but they're just not, they don't have the character to show up, but they have some really legitimate reasons why they don't come to church. And I'm thinking, well, if, if I was in their shoes, I probably wouldn't come to church either. Um, there, there's a guy that I met at the gym that I go to, and he's a, he's a police officer. He's a man's man. He's like a really, um, you know, uh, con- controlling type of guy. And 
when we would talk and he asked me what I do and I'm a pastor and he just kind of would laugh and he'd tease with me about stuff and uh, he would say things like, well, I know him. I got my ticket punched to go to hell. And I said, but yeah, but you don't have to. And it would develop into more conversation. And he, I said, well, what, what's your experience with church? And he said that he went to, when he was a teenager, so he's in his probably mid to late thirties. When he was a teenager, he went to a youth meeting at a church and they uh, asked him to put his address down on a connection, like a, like a visitor card. And he lived at like 666 something lane. Oh boy. And so the worker, right. Yeah. You can see where this is going. So the worker was like, are you kidding? You know, that's, this isn't funny. That's the son of the beast. And I don't know if he like responded back with like a sarcastic comment, but they kicked him out of the teen event and sent him home. And so he said to me, I'll never go to a church because of that. And I was like, well, did you really live at 666? And he was like, yeah, I did, but they didn't believe me, you know? So it's hard. Um, but that's just one of, you know, just different, many different stories of people where it's just like, I'd rather go to the, there's a lot of bars. It's weird. It's like, we've got lots of churches, lots of mainline denomination churches in our area, and lots of bars. <laughs> so people are like, you know, I'll, I'll, if they are going to church, it's just in, in name only. And it's just maybe Christmas and we call them creasers, Christmas and Easter attenders. And then the bar is kind of like where people hang out. That's their community. That's really where they find where they belong. So we've kind of made it our one of our taglines is you can you can belong and know that you're loved. And we've even this has been a real mind shift for me and it's been hard because some, it's not real popular. But I've, I've started to say in our church and to our visitors, you can belong here before you believe. And for some people, especially church people, I've gotten some kickback with, well, what do you mean, you know? Uh, they can't, they need to believe first and then they can be a part of the church. And I've said, but our philosophy is I want them to feel welcome because what I'm finding is more, if you do a scale of like one to 10, 10 being somebody gets saved over the last, you know, 50 years, most people, if they get saved, like the first time you talk to them or they, they respond in a revival or in a church service and it's, you know, it's the first interaction, most likely on a scale of one to 10, they're probably at like an eight or nine. They've, They've been church. They kind of know the church lingo. And so when you put the big ask out there, hey, would you want to accept Christ? They're they're only two steps away. They're like ready to go. But what I'm finding is a lot of the people I'm dealing with are on the other end of the spectrum where they're like at a two or three. They're so far from church and so far from God. I'm working on, on that and trying to get them to take the next step to, you know, just to say five is just showing up to church. Well, I got to get them from a two to a five before I can even get them. So we keep encouraging people to sit, come, and we've even let people, um, you know, like um, be able to serve at different at different spots with with wisdom and with um, some insight. You know, obviously not like not handling money or things like that. But we've had people come and a guy that's not a Christian, not saved, but I, I had him help me do some sound stuff. You know, working on the sound system. He's not up front. You know, he's not um, he's not going to be an influencer teaching. But when he found out that he could come and help me do some sound setup and do some things, it was kind of like, wow, but I'm not a member. I said, but that's, that's okay. Like I want to be able to rub shoulders and talk to you. And so I'm finding those kind of little ways, which is very different from, from my early mindset coming in and doing the church plant. Um, I would have been like, you need to be saved. You need to be in a suit and tie. You need to be, you know, the whole nine yards before I can really let you even walk in my door. Um, you know, that's kind of where my heart was. Uh, early on, and and that's definitely been a change for us, for for the better in our in our context and our area.
Yeah, and to offer a place where people can come and be loved is a huge way to establish trust. Now, as you mentioned that one of the greatest ways for outreach that has been effective for your church is personal connections. Would you also say that because of that, it's essential for churches to continually be putting that vision in front of their church members? Yeah, yeah, I I think um, anything that I find that moves, any movement that happens in our church, it's not by accident. Which again, I, I know I keep on beating beating this drum. When I first started pastoring, because I came from an already established ministry, coming in, I had a lot of preconceived notions and a lot of assumptions that were kind of like, well, if they come in, they'll just people will just know. And what I've come come to now, being almost seven years into this, people have no idea the culture of the church. They're not just going to give to the offering. They're not just going to go and invite friends. They're not just going to serve. They're not just going to even just somehow magically know what they're supposed to do. Everything has to be taught. Everything has to be emphasized specifically from the pulpit. And then also we have people over for for, uh, meals and we have people in our home for Bible studies. And we constantly will uh, be answering questions over just basic, simple things of trying to explain um, you talk to your friends and invite your friends. Well, and the response is, but it's awkward and it's weird, or I I feel bad. And I'll say, well, listen, it's it's not an issue of, um, like being awkward and saying, hey, do you know for sure if you were to die a day, you go to heaven? I'm not asking to, to to jump into that conversation, but to to talk about what's going on at church. And we've even tried um, to to do things with the sermons um, to be able to to hit real life. Um, real life issues. So struggles that people have, we're going to be doing a sermon series here in a couple of weeks called hope for the wounded heart. And it's really targeting, um, women who have gone through struggles, whether it's been, uh, being sexually abused as a child or a, a rough background situation, maybe going through a divorce or the loss of uh, a loved one or a, a spouse or a situation, maybe they lost a job or they're dealing with some baggage from their past. And so the goal is to be able to reach ladies. So we're doing a brunch and we're inviting our ladies to invite their friends. So it's an easy, what I would call like an on-ramp event. So people don't have to, you know, they're not signing up to join the church or to commit to anything, but they can just come and kind of see how we do things. Um, but, but allowing for our church uh, folks to say, Hey, this is something I can easily invite my friend to. Um, and it's, and it's weird actually talking about it. We had a baptism um, just a couple of weeks ago and I encouraged the people getting baptized. We had three kids and five adults, and I encouraged the adults, invite your family, invite your friends, and we had a huge day. Uh, we probably had uh, 10 or 12 visitors that day, and I was just blown away. People that normally would not come to church came to a baptism, and in that way, it was kind of worked in our favor because because we are in a like a denominationally churched area. When they heard the word baptism, it was kind of like, well, everybody goes to baptisms. Now, we didn't obviously, we didn't christen babies or anything like that. Uh, we did baptism by immersion, but we showed as a part of the baptism, we videotaped each person who was getting baptized, their testimony, their story, how they got saved, why they were taking that step of getting baptized. And for uh, one couple, the one young lady, she said, um, my mom at first was kind of like, well, you're baptized when you're a baby. Why do you need to get baptized again? And she said, because I'm, I want to be a part of this church, and I've gotten saved, and the next step is to identify with this with uh, this picture of, from what my pastor's told me, you know, she's trying to explain it to her mom, that we're kind of like, we're like buried, 
and then we're brought back to life, and and so she's trying to explain to her this whole picture, and, uh, and so she had, so this lady, she had, her aunt was there, her cousin was there, um, again, all people who would not normally attend church, but, you know, it was a great opportunity for them to go ahead and hear the gospel. Uh, we really talked about how it's about belonging to the family of God, and it's about being a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's what baptism is all about. It's a picture of it's an uh, outward expression of an inward decision, and so we really had some great contacts that day. Uh, again, personal connection, hearing the testimony, lives being changed. And you really can't argue with somebody's story. You cannot. We love story at our church. We love people telling the testimonies and telling their story, how they came to church, how they came to Christ, how God's worked in their lives. And you cannot argue with the Holy Spirit working in somebody's life. So the more we can put those stories out there, um, and and people really they connect with that. So. Uh, it's been powerful. Um, it's been really a powerful change for us, for me, um, in my leading and pastoring. Yeah, and I love that. And I love making those connections in the community and when they come in, having topics that are relatable to them and offering them hope. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times yeah. their idea of church might be, well, if I go there, they're going to give me a set of rules to live by. But the reality is we, re- right, we really right. do want to offer them hope. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Uh, but as we're nearing the end here, uh, can you, uh, and I love this as well, and I know that you do this, but can you explain the importance of family involvement in church outreach? Sure. The, um, I, think, I think we kind of talked a little bit about it. Um, we, we try to do everything we can to keep our, our family together. Um, there's a, a really great pastor. He is just coming into retirement um, probably pretty soon within the next couple of years or so in Philadelphia. And uh, he has eight kids and he started his church as a church plant from scratch. He was like an electrician at the Philadelphia airport. And so we've had a good relationship with him and his kids. And uh, so I asked him one time, how did, how did you, you know, it's the classic storyline, the pastor's kids, the pastor's kids, sometimes they go off, <laughs> off the rails, you know, and like all his kids made it, all eight of them were in ministry. They love God, and so I asked him. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Kind of like he's kind of like the he's kind of like the Baptist mafia. He's an Italian guy, and he's just he's just got a great personality. And we call him Pop. We don't even call him Pastor. Uh, we just call him Pop. And he'll come and he'll give you a, a hug. And he he like the first couple of times that I would see him, he would pull me in real tight and give me a kiss on the cheek. And so I was kind of like, well, that's, <laughs> I've never had a pastor kiss me on the cheek, you know? So anyway, he just said, he said, you just include him. He said, if you're going to go to the church to clean the church, you take your kids with you. If you're going to go on a visit, you take your kids with you on a visit. If you're going to go bury somebody at a funeral, you take your family with you. If you, you know, anywhere that you possibly can take your family. And it was really tough because like I mentioned earlier, um, Amanda was pregnant with Madison right as we were starting the church. And I can remember being in uh, the one day we ended up starting the church, you know, um, I had an office space in a daycare. So the church, we ended up um, starting the church at a Presbyterian church. That's a story for another time. But anyway, we were at, I was at this daycare in the basement and I took a break to go out and check my phone and I had bad cell service and I had all these, these uh, missed calls on my phone from Amanda and like dummy me, she's like, you know, 40 weeks, the baby's about to come. And I, I kind of was like unreachable. So I oh, call man. her and I said, Hey, how's it going? And 
she says, like, I'm getting contractions and they're getting pretty close. So can do you mind coming home? Because Malachi at the time, he was like probably one and a half, almost two. So I said, okay. But I was really like deep down inside, I was really frustrated because I'd always held this like secret rule, this almost, almost like this grudge between her and me and God, like God, she's not going to hold me back from becoming all that I want to become as a pastor. Like I want to be the, the like next big thing in Philadelphia. And if my wife's going to hold me, I'm not going to let her hold me back. And if she's going to hold me back, then she's going to have to know better. And so I went home really dragging my feet. And like, obviously everybody listening to this is thinking, what a goober, you know, why are you being such a jerk? Your wife's pregnant. But I'm thinking like my church is going to start in two days and I got to make sure I'm doing follow up and contacts. And so I get home and to make matters worse, she was like on the phone with her sister, like laughing. And I thought, she's fine. She's like laughing. She's not in pain. So then she got off the phone and she went to contraction and she's like doubled over and she's not feeling good. I'm like, you're fine. I'm going to go back to the office. And she's like, if you go back to the office, I'm going to kill you. Basically, like, <laughs> I'm going to strangle you. You're never going to pass her again. So uh, the contraction started coming quicker. We loaded up in the car. We get to the hospital and she's already like almost ready to deliver. And she was super sweet about it. And the nurses were like, wow, you like waited at home for a long time you're almost ready to, you know, have this baby. And she kind of like looked at me and smiled and was like, Oh, I'm just, we were just kind of busy doing some things. And then we had Madison had the church start. And then Amanda had, um, she caught the shingles, you know, so if you've ever known anybody or known about this, it's like getting chicken pox as an adult. And I can remember those early days, just after we started the church, waking up in the middle of the night and Madison would be crying and then Amanda would be crying and she'd be double over in pain on the side of the bed because of the shingles hurting so bad. And, yeah. and it was like, God, God gripped my heart so hard and was like, do not, do not sacrifice your family. I will build my church. I will take care of my church, but it's your responsibility to take care of your family. And it kind of was like, I got a good spanking from the Lord in my heart at like three o'clock in the morning. Uh, watch, and my heart just broke for Amanda. And, you know, I was trying to help her, couldn't do anything. So from that point on, it was kind of like, okay, the best we can. It doesn't always work, but the best we can, we always, we do stuff together. And, and you know, that's, that's not always perfect. Like sometimes we'll get in arguments, I'll be frustrated, and the kids will be going crazy because I have an office at home as well, be trying to do stuff. And, and uh, you know, I'm like, I got a meeting I got to get to. And the kids are like, but you said we're, you're going to, we're going to go with you, Dad. Well, you, you're not ready and you're fussing. And I had um, early on kind of made this decision in my heart that no matter where, where, where things were at or what we were doing, that we would always just try to stay together as a family. My, my heartbeat was for my kids that they wouldn't grow up and become adults and get to the point where they said, you know, I really, I really resent the fact that my dad and mom were in ministry. My, the story that I want to, really my heartbeat for Amanda and I is to see that our kids say we love ministry. We love God because it gave us opportunities to do things with our mom and dad and in the ministry that we wouldn't have had been afforded uh, otherwise. And so um, as best we can, it's not perfect. Again, it's something for us as a family. When I divert from taking my family with me, it, it doesn't usually end up well or I miss them or, you know, it just, it, I can just sense in my spirit that it wasn't the right thing, but whenever we take everybody with us, um, it, they, it, it goes well. And, and I guess one of my goals long-term is 
when my kids grow up and become teenagers and then eventually when they go out on their own and start their own families that if they had a choice to spend time with their friends or go pursue some other, you know, something else, that their desire would be to come back home and uh, and find a place that they say that, you know, I belong there and I feel welcome at home with mom and dad and that we have those relationships. It goes back to the qualifications for a pastor. If a pastor can't rule his house well, then how can he rule and, and have authority and pastor in his church? And so the best we can, we really pray and beg God for protection for our kids, protection for our ministry, um, and do the best we can to keep those relationships tight. So we can then when it, it man, when the weekend comes, Saturday and Sunday are busy, busy, busy. And the kids know that we push them hard, really, really hard to clean and be there and be ready to go. But then when we take off and have fun, we, we party. <laughs> so we work hard and then we party hard. So that's kind of our, our thing. Yeah, I love it. And as we wrap up here, Matt, are there any final thoughts that you would like to leave us with? Uh, I just I appreciate your heart, your heart for ministry, and uh, for anyone listening um, to know that that God, as as crazy as this sounds, God will use you to impact uh, innumerable people's lives. But then he'll also, and this is this is where I almost feel, um, I feel bad or maybe a little selfish. God is using greater Philadelphia Baptist Church and this small group of 50 people that we have to transform my life and to change me. So as much as I think I'm there for those people, God has used relationships. He's used a church building. He's used a, a church body. He's used my wife and my kids and this whole experience we've had in doing ministry to transform my life. And I think the day that that stops happening or the day that God can't work in my life and transform me and use the ministry to impact me is the day that I'll probably, uh, I'll probably die and stop being effective for God. But until then, I'm going to keep allowing myself to have a tender heart. And uh, like I, I think Spurgeon may, maybe said it, but to have the, the mind of a scholar and the hide of the skin of a rhino, to have a tough skin, but then have the heart of a child. And so I want to keep those things uh, in place and uh, keep a tender heart to the Lord. But that, that's kind of our heartbeat and what we shoot for. So the encouragement to people listening would be to keep a tender heart and allow God to work and to continue to change you and grow. Yeah, and Matt, we want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to spend here with us and to share us share with us your experiences that you've had in Media, Pennsylvania with Greater Philadelphia Baptist Church. Thanks so much, Bryce. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Well, that does it for another episode of Church Outreach Strategies. Some really valuable takeaways in there, but I think one of the greatest takeaways is that we would do well in our churches to be continually reminding each other of the value of personal connections and that it is our job to go out into the community and to share with them how the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed our lives and that we don't want to introduce rules into their life, but we want to give them hope that that gospel can change their lives as well. Thank you for listening. And if you already haven't done so, please subscribe to this podcast as well as give us a review. That goes a long way into adding value to this podcast and making sure that we're able to continue providing valuable content for you. Thanks for listening. And until next time, get out there and reach your community.